Remember, if there's somebody you know that is keen on the word, just share the link with them and invite them over. Ephesians is one book of the Bible that talks a whole lot about the church, you know, about the church. Now, the, it's called the Epistle of the Church. Like the book of Acts tells the physical history of the church. And the book of Ephesians describes its character. You know, describes its character. So it's a book that every Christian should be conversant with. And like you know, I'm going to just do a brief recap of um, of chapter one that we handled last last um, year. But I would advise everyone to please go to our podcast. Go to our podcast on um, Activate Church www.activatechurchuk www.activatechurch.co.uk and um, catch up from the previous um, series that we ran in chapter 1. We did chapter 1. Chapter 1. So catch up. I'm, I'm sharing the link. Just go to Activate Church UK. You can, if you look at the address there, you see it, Activate Church UK and slash podcast. Look for the podcast, which is where the mouse is now. When you click on the podcast, you see all our messages, all our messages there. Like Sunday's message is already there. Enjoying our femininity. That is the Mother's Day message from my wife. On Tuesday last week, we talked about how the law be abolished. This is one message you also need to go and listen to. Nine episodes of just chapter one alone. Of just chapter one alone. So, uh, I'll just do a very, very quick recap because we won't really have time to do that. So, we can jump straight into chapter two. Now, chapter one was is broadly divided into two. The first half of chapter one talks about the believer's spiritual blessings in Christ, which is also part of God's plan. Now, the second half of chapter 1 talks about the revelation of that blessing in Christ Jesus. So, there are nine things that God did for us in Christ Jesus. The first is that he blessed us. You see that in verse 3 of chapter 1. He chose us. You see that in verse 4 of chapter 1. He predestined us. See that in verse 5 of chapter 1. He accepted us. You see that in verse 6, verse 7 talked about he redeemed us. Verse 8 talks about he abounded to us the riches of his grace. You know, verse 9 talks about he made known to us the mystery. Now, what is this mystery? Now, this mystery talks about how as Gentiles, we are now part of the commonwealth of Christ. Secondly, that happened because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, entered us. One of the mysteries of the church is Christ in us. You see that fully in Colossians. Then the eighth thing that Christ did for us in Christ Jesus is that he gave us an inheritance. You see that in verse 11. You also see that in verse 14. He gave us an inheritance. Then the ninth thing he did is that he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Then the second half of chapter 1 talks about prayer for revelation. When we pray this prayer, there are some insights we're going to get. One, we know the hope of his calling. You see that in verse 18. Then we know the riches of his inheritance. Then we know what we have right now in Christ Jesus. What do we have right now in Christ Jesus? One of the things we have right now in Christ Jesus is that we have the exceeding power, the custodian of God's power, like I mentioned and always mentioned, is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was ascending, before he just ascended, he told the disciples, he said, tarry, tarry in Jerusalem that you will be endued with power. I said, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost 
is come upon you. So that means that the power of God, the custodian of it, is the Holy Ghost. He said you shall receive this power, but it won't come until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So this is one of the things that we have in Christ Jesus. The Ephesians chapter 1 reveals to us. The life chapter 1, we will see our position in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we are in Christ Jesus and we are seated in Christ Jesus at the right hand of God. And the right hand of every king or a man of power of any king is the position of power. And Jesus is sitting right there. And he's not sitting there alone. As believers, as members of the church, we are seated in him at God's right hand. Wow. Isn't that awesome? So as a member of the church, as a Christian, we have at our disposal the power of God in its entirety. Then the next thing is that because we are raised and we are sat in Christ at the right hand of God, I would say that we are raised far above principalities and power. So we know that principalities and power and the might of the kingdom of darkness, we are above them. And all those things are under our feet. So that is just in the, in the capsule, Ephesians chapter 1, which I just did now in like a few minutes, but we did that in nine services. So I would love you to go catch up on our podcast. Just go to our website, activatechurch.co.uk forward slash podcast and catch up on all our messages. So today we are delving straight into chapter two. Chapter two, anywhere we stop once this time, we'll stop and we'll continue next Tuesday. Now in chapter two, like what everything I've listed for you in chapter one, all beautiful, you know, the beautiful thing that Christ did for us. We, 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 we saw his exceeding grace, you know, his exceeding grace at work in display in chapter one. Now chapter two started off <laughs> to recall, so to say, our miserable state before we found Christ. And I think this is very important because now as a believer, now as a Christian, anytime we are tethering towards how we were before we found Christ, something should go off like an alarm bell should go off at the back of our head because we are no longer like that. So we shouldn't live like that. Like verse 1, if you have your Bibles, if you have your notepad, I would really love that you have your notepad to take notes. If you have your Bibles, that would be awesome. And you, talking about the church, and you, he made alive who were in trespasses and who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wow. He made us alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. So the first thing you see there is that before we became the church, before we accepted Christ into our lives, we were dead. So we could put it in this way as well. Every unbeliever, everyone that have not known Christ, that have not come to Christ, is dead. Now you might ask, but people that are not Christians are alive. How can they be dead? The word dead there is referring to your human spirit, which is the real you. Your body is not the real you. Saying that your body is the real you is like saying that this t-shirt is the real me. If I want to take my bath, I'll take off this shirt. Then I'll take my bath. The shirt once it's out of my body, is lifeless. Why the shirt is moving around is because the body is making, in quote, the shirt alive. So you can see the shirt moving around. People say, if you say, ah, this shirt is moving around, you might sound stupid. 
because it's not really the shirt that is moving around it is the person wearing the shirt that is moving around that same way your body though your body is moving around that is not really you the real you is wearing the body the real you is unseen the real you is your spirit that is why when the spirit returns back to its maker the spirit sheds sheds its 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 um, skin the spirit have shed its skin, its cloak, its t-shirt. The t-shirt of the spirit is the flesh. So being dead means that your human spirit is disconnected from its source. He said, and you, he made the life. So the church, because we believe in Jesus Christ, our human spirit came alive. But before our human spirit came alive, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, let me say this. The problem of the unbeliever is not sins. It's not the sins he or she is committing. The problem of the unbeliever is that the unbeliever is dead. That is the problem. So that is why God needed to bring our spirit alive by his Holy Spirit that is in us. That was the first point of call at Calvary. Was to handle sin and to handle sins. If Jesus only handled sins, it will be of no use. Sin is that nature of sin. It's that thing that makes an unbeliever an unbeliever. That's why when you read Hebrews chapter 9, you see clearly he died for sin. That is the nature of sin. That is this dead human spirit. Then he shed his blood for our sins. So before we became the church, before we met Christ, we were dead. When we understand this, we will not be at ease when we see our friends, our family members, that still have not received Christ into their heart. We will be restless because we will not see them as just unbelievers. We will see them as being dead. We will see them as people disconnected from God. Wow. <laughs> so chapter 1, Saul is like a, a glimpse, an introduction of the church, of the Christian, from his sitting position above. Then chapter 2 now takes us back to that Christian, how that Christian was before Christ regenerated our human spirit and took us up above. So the two basic outlines for this chapter 2 we are starting today is the first outline is Mercy makes the dead alive by grace. We'll see that all through chapter one from verse chapter two from verse one to verse ten. Now the second half of chapter two talks about the breaking of the partition wall, then making one new man, one new church. We'll see that from eleven to verse twenty-two. Verse 22. Now that takes us to verse 2. Verse 2 now says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This verse is loaded. And we're going to spend some time on this verse. Permit me to read again. Verse 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, In which, in what? Remember, verse 1 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins, in which we once walked according to the curse of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So there's some things I want to point out to you there. Number one, number one, if you are writing, write this down. Remember, this is Bible stuffing. This is Bible study. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to teach. The first thing is, number one, we walked. Well, we were unbelievers. Before we found Christ, we walked according to the curse of the world. What is the curse there? It means the system. The world there is not earth as we know it. It's not the physical world. Now, English is a bit restricted because the New Testament was written in Greek. Whenever you see the word world in the New Testament especially, it might mean one of, of three words. Two, very prominent. The first is the physical world which is known as ethnos. The second is the Greek word called aeon, A-I-O-N, aeon, which means the, which means age, talking about dispensations. Then the third word that English always translates as world is cosmos which means the system of the world. So we have ethnos, which is the physical word. We have aeon, which at times is used for also translated world, where it actually means dispensations, or some translations use the word age. Then the third word is cosmos. The Greek word here is cosmos, is cosmos, which means the world system. So when we were unbelievers, we walked, we followed the course of the world system. Anything that is happening in the world, the trends of the world, we follow it, you know, because we did not know better. Now, when we are carried away by cosmos, people think it is natural. They say, oh, it's only natural. But it's not. In this verse, we were told that this world system is championed, is supervised, is controlled by a spirit. And that spirit, he, uh, Paul called, it, called him the prince of the power of the air. In case you're wondering, what is this prince of the power of the air? He said, it is the spirit. So behind Cosmos is a spirit. You need to know this because it's very fundamental for us throughout this study. So when we were unbelievers, we were actually under the control of this spirit. When we were unbelievers, we were actually under the control of the prince of the power of the air. And we know who this is. This is Satan. That's why Paul, in somewhere, I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or this second, he said that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so the light of the gospel of Christ will not shine into their hearts. This God of this world is this prince. The word prince there is that word God. He's the one in charge of the world system for now. But ethnos, which is the world, the Bible made clear in Psalm 24, is the Lord. It said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and everyone in it belongs to, the, belongs to God. But for now, for this time, until our Lord Jesus Christ descends, the system of the world, Satan is in charge of it. But that will terminate when Jesus descends from above in the second coming and he will bring his kingdom and establish his kingdom here on earth. That is why he told us whenever we are praying, we should pray that his kingdom come. The kingdom of God coming means that his physical kingdom will come, which Revelation 21-22 tells us. Secondly, 
the system of God will also come. That is where Satan will lose control of the world system because he will be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. But before then, he is the one in charge of the world system. I know I'm taking time out to explain this because when you understand this, some of the struggles you've been experiencing as a believer will somewhat disappear. And I will show you how throughout the course of this study, actually of chapter 2. So I hope that is clear. <laughs> okay. I'm going to illustrate this with, uh, with a story. There's a guy that said one day he was um, taking a walk in, in the woods and he came across a brook of a brook or what we call a stream, you know. And um, he walked beside the stream and looked into the water. He noticed something that the water was flowing at a particular direction, what we call the current. The water current was flowing at a particular direction. And they say the water current follows gravity. So downstream, the current flows. See, he noticed something. That by the, at the banks of the stream, of course, there are trees. And whenever some of the leaves of the trees dry up, it will shed its, its, its leaves. He noticed that as the current was flowing downstream, dead leaves, dead branches, dead particles followed the same current. The curve are just blowing it. Or just, you know, <laughs> they all followed without resistance. They all followed. Why? They were dead leaves. They were dead branches. He said he looked again and he could see some little, little fish. But what amazed him is that as everything dead in that stream followed the current, the little fish swam against the current. Dead leaves, dead branches follow the current, but the fish that was alive swam against the current. And this means a lot, especially to understand, if you need to understand, if you're going to understand this verse of scripture. That means before we got born again, we could not resist the course, the current of this world. We were under the course, the current of the world system. But now that we've given our lives to Christ Jesus and we're now members of the church, we are made alive, just like verse 1 tells us. We have been made alive. We should not any longer follow the course of this world. We should no longer follow the currents. We should swim against the current. And you understand why the Bible says, though we are in the world, we are not of the world. And <laughs> people have really interpreted that and they are not wrong when they say, yes, we live physically here right now on planet earth but we are from a different world which is heaven and that is true very right but it also means that though we live in this physical world we are not of that the world system we are not we are not of the world system and this is very important because in this verse verse 2 and verse 3 you will find five state of the unbeliever. The first is that they walk according to the world system. Two, you can write it down. Number one, they walk according to the world system. Number two, they walk according to the will of Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air. Number three, you see that in verse three, the next verse we're going to read, is that we function in uh, that, uh, sinners, sinners, not us, function 
in the lusts of the flesh. Let me read verse 3 for you. Verse 3 said, Among whom also, verse 3, we all want, we all want, when we are unbelievers, we all want, conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh. Number four, in the lust of our mind or soul. He said, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So the fourth thing, the fourth state of the sinner is that he fulfills the lust of his mind. The fifth state of the sinner is that they are by nature the children of wrath. You be asking, Pastor, why are you wasting time talking to us about our state when we were sinners? It doesn't matter. Talk to us now about our state as the church. I've done that in chapter 1. That's why I said if you didn't follow through with that series, go and listen to the podcast. Now, why I am talking to you about the state of sinners and your previous state is, is, is that a lot of us, though we are now Christians, we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. There is this seduction, seduction to live life the way we used to. To live life the way sinners do at the moment. That is why Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You used to be dead under Satan, who used to be your master, but you're no longer dead. Now you are alive. You have a new master who is Christ. But because we still live in this physical world, Satan uses the world system to bring us down. There are three ways Satan tempts us. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 tells us, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 tells, tells us that. Uh, 1 John 2, verse 15. The Bible talks about, um, say, do not love this world, uh, nor the things of the world. He says, if anyone loves the world, that the love of God, the love of the Father is not in him. He now said this. He said, for in the world, talking about the world system. They don't love the world system. Not the physical world. It's the world system. He said, for in the world, in the world system, remember, Satan is the one controlling it. He said, there are three things. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. Number three, the pride of life. There are three things, three ways, three methods, three styles Satan tries to tempt us to bring us down. Jesus showed us this when he told a parable because Jesus teaches truths using stories. That was why he was a perfect teacher. He taught 1 John 2, 15 to to 17, those three verses, but he told it in form of a story. And what story is that? It's the parable of the sower. It's the parable of the sower. So when when he said the sower went to sow, of course, what does he do? He scatters seeds. He said, for some fell on the pathway. Some fell on the stony ground. Some fell amongst um, thorns. Then the fourth fell on good ground. And Jesus, when the disciples came to ask him the meaning of that story, he said something to them. He said, number one, that seed is the word of God. Then, the places the seed fell, the different kind of grounds the seed fell, he said, is the heart of man. And he said, when the, the ones that found the pathway, that when they received the word of God, that Satan hurriedly came and took it away. Remember, the birds of the air came and and took it off from the pathway. He said the ones that fell on the stony ground, now when they heard the word of the Lord, and they were happy with it, but they did not have that foundation. Nothing, because the stony ground, the ground is not soft, 
is not well irrigated. So it tried to germinate, but of course, the sun, because it didn't like there was no moisture. The sun scorched it to death. The one that fell amongst thorns, he said they were happy with it, they were excited with the word of the Lord, they ran with it, and they were growing. But because of the thorns, and the Bible says that those thorns were the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. There you will see loss of the eyes. You see all those loss that, that John talked about. Then the final group, that seed fell on the good ground. Those ones are the ones that accepted the word and they have read themselves of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So there was room for the word to germinate. There was room for the word to be fruitful in them. And this is why we are doing this study. Just have about 10 minutes to round this up. So when you see believers being drawn by the word system, when you see believers so much interested, living their lives in accordance with the way unbelievers are living, they are being seduced by the world system. They are being seduced by the world system. That's why John said, Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. Don't do it. So you see that today's generation of believers, today's generation of believers, <laughs> are so seduced by the word. And I don't know if you'll be following a lot of trends happening on social media. There's a recent trend where people tattoo the names of so-called celebrities on their bodies. It became a new craze. Because there's this particular celebrity that when you tattoo his name on your body, he will invite you to his house, give you plenty of money, buy you things, and he will showcased on social media. So the, this generation, they are seduced so much by the world system. So much. That is why, that is why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 from verse 6 to verse 8, the Bible tells us something. The Bible says, for to be carnally minded, whenever you are living your life, you are patterning your life in accordance with the world system, you are being carnal. You are being carnal. He says in that place in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Why is it death? Remember, the dead leaves, never forget that word picture I painted for you. Those dead leaves, because they were dead, they could not resist the current of the water. So they flowed with the current. But the fish that is alive could resist it, could flow, could swim rather upstream against the current. So, if as a believer, you are still flowing in line with the world system, flowing in line with the current, you are being canal, though you are a Christian. And this is why we are doing this study in chapter 2. After Paul painted a beautiful picture of who you are now in Christ, he put this chapter 2 for me as a warning. I remember when I stumbled on this chapter 2 and it changed my life. That was 2000, I think, 2009. And I God showed me this chapter to in a different light. It changed my life. He helped me so much to transform my mind by renewing my mind. See that to be carnally minded is death. So if as a believer, the world system 
is still directing your life like those dead leaves. Though you are alive like the fish, you are carnally minded. Because this guy also looked at that stream. He also saw fish that was alive flowing in the same direction of the, as, as the water current. So that fish that is alive is, that, is a believer that has not been able to resist resist the world system. So it's still flowing, swimming in line with the world system. A wise man said, if the world is headed this direction, that you don't even need to understand what is attracting them, what they're chasing, what they're going for, they don't need to understand it. Once you see the world go in this direction, just go the opposite way, that you'll be fine. He said, if you go the opposite way, you will be fine because there is no concord. There is no agreement between light and darkness. We are totally divergent. If you just go the other way, you'll be fine. So do not be carnally minded. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Wow. Nazareth verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity towards God. <laughs> For it is not subject to the law of God. It cannot be subject to the law of God. It is subject to the law of Satan. I said, no, indeed can be. Even if they try to be, it cannot be. Why? There is no concord between light, light or darkness. There are no middle grounds in this thing. If you're, if you're, you're either with God or you're with Satan. There is no sitting on the fence. There is no gray area. You're either serving God or you're serving mammon. It is one of the two. It can't be both. It's one of the two. So, so, so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So when you are always seduced and carried away by the loss of the flesh. The Bible says you cannot please God. When you are always seduced by the lust of your eyes and carried away by it, seduction is one. But when you now give in to that seduction and you are carried away by it, the Bible says you cannot please God. The same thing with the pride of life. Because you are now, you've given control of your life to the prince of the air, the spirit which is at work in these people of darkness in the sinners. Hallelujah. <laughs> so from these three verses I read for you, there are things I want you to note. Carnality, carnality leads to death. It's clear there. The second thing is that when you are carnal, it makes you an enemy to God. The third is that you can never please God. Can never please God. Are you seeing why how I'm tying it in? Though this is the state of sinners, you can also see that as a Christian, if you don't resist the course of this world and swim against the current, you can be a canal Christian. That is why people now say that they cannot tell between a Christian and unbeliever in the world we live in because a lot of Christians are carnal. Because a lot of Christians, though they've been snatched from the kingdom of darkness, though they have been raised up with Christ and they are sat at the right hand of God, far above the kingdom of darkness, Satan, devils, demons, though they've been given the power and authority Though they've been made those nine things I listed for you at the beginning, they still mirror the world which makes them live as canal Christians. That is why as a believer, you need, you need to be a gatekeeper. What gates are you supposed to keep? As a person, as a human being, we, we have three gates through which things enter, enter you. 
One is your body. The second is your eye. The third is your ears. What you see affects you. What you hear affects you. What you feel affects you. So as a believer that wants to live a victorious Christian life, a life pleasing to God, you must keep watch over these three gates. You must. You must. You must. That is why Paul said something in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. He said in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, he said, Do not be conformed to this world. Whenever you let the world system and its current carry you away, you are conforming to the world. the, The word world there is the world system of Satan. So do not be conformed to it. Conform is a is 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 a is, let's say a complex word or a compound word rather. It was formed from two words. It was formed from the word come and form. So what Paul is saying there is don't come to this world and be formed in its mold because you've been taken away from the world system. You'll be snatched away from this the kingdom of darkness. You are now in the kingdom of light. What should come to form you is now the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of light. You cannot be in the kingdom of light and you are still formed, shaped by the kingdom of darkness. So do not be conformed any longer to the world, but rather, he said, be transformed transformation change change from the way you used to be that was saying in time past we used to believe in this course of the world but now you're no longer in, in that system you need to be transformed it does not happen automatically transformation is a process it's not automatic it's a process it's a process And this process involves what I was teaching you. It involves being a gatekeeper. Being a gatekeeper over what you hear, over what you see. Job said, I caught a covenant with my eyes. So he will not see a maiden. So he will not see evil. Over what touches this, your body. Your body is also a gate. I told a story the other day we were having a marriage project about a, a girl that met her ex. He said that the guy touched her. Immediately her body reverberated. Everything from the past came back. Though she's married now with kids, she said that touch and the guy kissed her. Said she said she was ready. She has, told, she has asked for forgiveness in her heart. And I said, no matter what, I must commit adultery today. Just a touch. Why? Your flesh is a gate. That's why it's called the loss of the flesh. The loss of the eye. Your eye is a gate. And the pride of life. Your ear is a gate. So be transformed. How do you get transformed? By renewal of your mind. You cannot be renewing your mind from the way you used to think as a sinner and yet, now as a Christian, you're still listening to all those things you used to listen to. You're still reading all those romantic novels that used to charge your body, that used to do when you're a sinner. Now you are a Christian, you need to stop reading them. Protect your eyes. You need to stop watching those pornography. Protect your eyes. Protect your ears. Don't hear things that don't conform to the world. If not, before you know it, carnality will set in. You start walking in accordance with your flesh. Say, renew your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
And as I end, as I end, hallelujah, as I end, how do you do this? You have to be a gatekeeper. What do I mean by being a gatekeeper? You have to imbibe one very important fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the nine of them, are very important. This is what shows the world that you're a Christian. They're all very important. All of them. All of them. The Bible says the fruit, the fruit. Notice that place in Galatians chapter 5. It did not say the fruits. You know, verse 22. Galatians chapter 5. Say, but the fruit is not fruits. It is one fruit. Is. It didn't say ah. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is like the heart of that fruit. It's like the seed of that fruit. When you pick a fruit, its seed is inside, in the center of that fruit. It is that seed that produces the fruit. It is that seed that actually produces the tree that produces the fruit. Love is like the heart of that fruit. That is why we, the shape we used to represent love is the shape of a heart. From that heart, from that, uh, from that love, every other fruit of the Spirit is seen. When you get so deep into God's love and start living and walking in love, you will see joy flow out of it. You will see peace flow out of it. You will see long-suffering flow out of it. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Then the last, and not the least, is self-control. Love is the heart. Self-control is like the shell or the flesh of that fruit. It is what holds the fruit together. And it is very important for me Love is the most important. Self-control is the second most important. And if you ask my boys, this is one thing I have taught them and I keep teaching them. How to control themselves. You know, I tell people the first law of dominion is self-control. Why? Though God gave us dominion over the world, you cannot have dominion over your world until... You have dominion over yourself. Self-control is the first law of dominion. And so it is with the believer. Because when you finish reading that first half of Romans chapter 8, where he talked about the carnal Christian, who is always driven by the whims of the flesh and the whims of his soul. He now said, see, as a believer now, you, don't no, you no longer need to work in accordance with your flesh Rather, you need to walk in the Spirit. He now said, As many that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. The word led there is control. Before we became Christians, Satan and the world system controlled us. Now we are a believer, we need to be controlled by the Spirit. We need to be controlled by the Word of God. So that fish, if you forget anything about today's teaching, don't forget that world picture of the stream, the dead leaves, and the fish that is alive. That fish that swims against the current is the believer that has self-control. Is the believer that has refused to be controlled by the current, which is the world system, and is forging a new system for itself which is the system of God. So you swim against it, against that current. One of my boys, you know, struggled with self-control for a while. There's some things he knows that he's not supposed to do. He's not supposed to, while home, um, before they went back to school last week, they, they were doing homeschooling. So they all had a computer, a laptop. But what usually happens is that this one, while he's supposed to be home, so him to be homeschooling and studying, he will go on, <laughs> he will go on YouTube and be watching. He loves football and be watching FIFA, watching a lot of things on YouTube instead of him to be doing his schoolwork. And one day, and I've done this separately with him, I said, "Why are you doing that?" 
He always commanded me, I can't help myself. I just feel like doing it and I just do it. I just feel like doing it and I just do it. I said, but you know the rules. And I was sitting down, I would talk to him again about self-control. Yes, you feel like doing it, but you don't do it. Yes, you feel this way, but you don't do it. Believe us, we are not moved by how we feel. We are moved, we are directed by the word of God. We are spirit-led. I am also raising Christians, any Christian that listens to me, Christians that will learn to go to the word of God for guidance, that will learn to listen on their inside, to hear the spirit speak. Because every believer has God living on their inside. And if you truly know this for a fact, you will seek less, less, not that you won't seek at all, but you will seek less for direction from the external. And I trust God that Christians that will listen to me long enough will learn to hear and be led by their human spirit and not go or depend on external counselors to direct them. To direct them. So self-control is very, very important. Self-control in line with God's word and instruction is very, very godly. When other people want to control you to get you to do their wishes and their desires, it becomes manipulation. And that's what a lot of ministers do. So as Christians, you need to be beware of that as well. As ministers, our job is to teach you the word of God. Our job is to teach you how to, how to be led by the Spirit. How to be led by the Spirit. And then you know, the Spirit will never speak outside God's word. And this is where I'll end today. Next Tuesday, we're going to continue this study of Ephesians chapter 2.